This is the Darren Paltrow cast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. As the lead vocalist of the Beach Boys for more than 55 years... Mike Love has been around the world many times over. Last year in 2017, Love released Unleash the Love, his first solo album in decades. Love still tours every year with the Beach Boys, in addition to releasing at least one new catalog title each year through Universal Music. I had the pleasure of talking with Love by phone about everything from the comedy roots of the Beach Boys to why he calls Lake Tahoe home. More on Mike Love can be found online at www.mikelovemusic.com. How long have you lived in Lake Tahoe? Oh, I, I bought this property in eight, 1981. <laughs> Lake Tahoe is known to be a beautiful place, but I want to know if there is other artists who live in his town. Lead singer of Whitesnake lives here. <laughs> and um, Doug Clifford did live here, but he moved down to the bottom of the hill, which is, you know, closer to Reno. Yeah, so there, there are a few guys around. As the music of the Beach Boys is generally associated with beaches, I asked Mike what brought him out to Lake Tahoe in the first place. It's beautiful, it's serene, and, um, you know, it's in, high in the mountains. I have an incredibly beautiful view of the lake which changes his personality and coloration every day based on, you know, what's going on in the atmosphere. It's, it's quite beautiful. I asked Mike if that meant that he's lived his entire life in California, aside from touring. He was born in Los Angeles and grew up in L.A. and then moved to uh, Santa Barbara and then to Lake Tahoe. But it's really nice because, you know, it's, it's serene and kind of secluded in a way i mean there's a uh there's a nice there are nice little villages around the lake and everything but it's you know rush hour is maybe about 10 minutes long <laughs> lake tahoe is divided in right down the middle of the lake between the border of the border between california and nevada i am on the northeastern shore of the nevada side and that's where inclined villages so um I've been here a long time, but, you know, I've always also had lived in, you know, when I first left my family home, I've lived in, you know, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, uh, Beverly Hills for a little while, and then Santa Barbara for several years. Always, you know, except for, for Beverly Hills, I always loved being near the water, you know. Maybe it's because I'm a Pisces. Something else that I find interesting about Mike Love is that he's related to two NBA greats, his brother Stan Love and his nephew Kevin Love. I asked whether he himself was ever much of a basketball player. No, um, I wasn't that great at basketball. I went out for football because my father, Milton Love, the father of um, you know Stan and myself, I went out for football because he was an all-city end and from Washington High School in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, back when he was 17 years old. So I thought, well, I'd try my luck at uh, football. But 
I, for some reason, I was able to run long distance, so they kept me in cross country and track, and I would run five miles in the morning just to, with a friend of mine on the track team, Craig Owens, and he and I were number one and two on the track team, and um, we'd work out, run five miles in the morning, then have breakfast to go to school, and then work out in the afternoon with either track or cross country. And so, uh, you know, that gave me a, I don't know, for some reason I was able to run, I wasn't able to run particularly fast, but I could learn, run a long distance and, and do reasonably well. Like the mile and, and cross country was like two miles. So, um, yeah, that, so that was my extent of athleticism. Um, my brother Stan, of course, was in the NBA and he broke all the scoring records when he was going to college at University of Oregon. But his son, Kevin, is, uh, you know he's he's a great athlete, and of course with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I jokingly tell him, I said, I used to be somebody in this family till you came along. For the past few years, Universal Music has been releasing some interesting unreleased material by the Beach Boys. I asked Mike if this means that there's still a lot left in the vaults. I don't know the answer to that, honestly. Uh, some. Some of the reason for putting some of these songs out is that you have to do it to to protect the copyright of some of the songs. So that is, uh, from the the writers and the group standpoint, that's one of the one of the significant reasons for for releasing some of those songs. But but also we've we've done you know we we celebrated the 50th anniversary of pet sounds this this whole last year we celebrated the 50th anniversary of wild honey album which i wrote the song the lyrics of the song wild honey as well as darling as well as aren't you glad i, I, I was involved with writing with brian and, and that was a fun song to do we did it at brian's uh studio at his home in bel-air and um so i don't know it just For some reason or other, we seem to be the anniversary band, huh? The Beach Boys is generally not thought of as a comedy band, but the recent 1966 Graduation Day live album that Universal released, it has a lot of funny moments on it. I wanted to know about Mike's comedy influences. Mother's Brothers are really great. We loved them when when they were ruling the, the, the TV. In 1965, we were on a... It was a Jack Benny TV special with Bob Hope, uh, joining wow. and they, yeah, it was amazing. And this this is one of the earlier TV appearances we'd made. Um, and they dressed up because it was the Beach Boys. They dressed up in this outrageous jams outfits, you know, just ridiculous looking. And they they were saying like, "Where's the beach? <laughs> Which way is the beach?" or something like that. It's probably on YouTube, but it was hilarious. And I remember we weren't. They come from a vaudeville background. And uh, they would say, where's the beach? And in a, a really loud, projected voice. And we would say, oh, it's that way. You know, we, we were really timid and shy. And they, Bob Hope took the time to say, throw your voice. He actually schooled us right there on the spot about how to respond to their, their bit that they were doing, which I thought was amazing. It was embarrassing and fun and informative and it was like, you know, getting a PhD and how to be on TV from from the master Bob Hope. But Richard Pryor, I was going to say earlier, Richard Pryor. He and I used to hang out, uh, you know, back in the '60s. 
when I was living in Beverly Hills, I'd go see him on Little Santa Monica, Little Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood at a, at a comedy club. And, I, you know, because I had some notoriety from being in the band, you know, Beach Boys were doing really well. Uh, I, I would go and visit with him backstage um, in the little dressing room, and we'd talk. And and we had a gun into conversation one time about, I, I told him that I think someday the Chinese will be drinking Coca-Cola. And he said, oh, no, love, ain't no way. That's the yellow peril, man. They're, they're not going to. They ain't going to be having no Coca-Cola in, in Red China. And so years later, he was hosting the um, Academy Awards, and we were, I was backstage, and he came by and said, Love, you were right about the Chinese and Coca-Cola. <laughs> so, so, yeah, hanging out with Richard Pryor was an amazing thing, you know. But it's like Brian and I, kids, would would assume these little personas that that were just comical and we'd make each other laugh so we were holding our sides we would we'd just be so silly and so funny together so i think that that comedic timing thing that you mentioned comes from from our childhood and our young adulthood boy you really think you're some kind of an opera star don't you man <laughs> man at least i don't sound like my nose is on the critical list <laughs> the beach boys have never stopped touring even when there wasn't new music to promote i want to know when mike figured out that the beach boys didn't need hits in order to go on the road i don't know if if we ever realized that i just think that for one thing there, there were two bands. Brian Wilson quit the touring group in 1964. For, for a few months' time, Glenn Campbell took his place, and he was Glenn was, was an amazing uh, guitarist, but he also played bass with us and sang high parts. Uh, and until Bruce Johnston joined our group in 1965, Glenn uh, took Brian's place. So what happened? What be it became two groups. One was the studio group, of which we were all a part of, and one was the the road, the, the road warriors, <laughs> the the live guys. Now I've always, honestly, I've always liked the live performances, um, recreating those songs, and and it creates so much happiness with so many people, all over the world, not just in California, <laughs> all over the country and all over the world. So. Uh, and I always, I became early on a student of, of how to do these shows. How you know, I would go to the agency a couple times a week when I was home, and we would decide which shows we would sell to a promoter and which shows we would promote ourselves. And and so it was just quite an education that I got early on in the '60s about the whole touring thing. But I always, to this day, I. I mean, the studio is a great tool, but the live response and energy of an audience and the sound that you're recreating at a place with good acoustics is is incredibly fantastic thing for me. And I think, you know, it, so many millions of people have come out to see us and hear us and and experience some happiness, and 90% of the people are having a great time. And maybe there are a few people in the audience who aren't particularly Beach Boy fans, but maybe 
hopefully, after we perform our show, they'll walk away thinking, hey, those guys are pretty good, you know? <laughs> I asked Mike if there's an ideal way to tour these days. I don't mind doing places big and small. I mean, we, we've played to over a million and a half people in one day back in the 80s. Uh, we did two shows, one in Philadelphia and one in Washington, D.C. on July 4th. And um, the Philadelphia Inquirer said there were 900,000 people in the streets, and the economic impact was $22 million to the city this, back then. And so, and that evening, we played Washington, D.C. In the, at the um, front of the monument. You could see the South Lawn of the White House from the stage. So that's amazingly spectacular, enormous thing to do, to play for that many people in person in one day. But also, you were there at the listening party the other night in, in New York, and we enjoyed that immensely, you know, the intimacy of it and just doing it stripped down. It wasn't like particularly, you know, full production. It was kind of just, you know, a little bare-bones production, but it, it, it was it, it featured the voices and the songs, and, and it was really fun. It was really fun. Touring aside, I want to know if Mike has any plans to release material from his personal vaults, as a few of his older releases are currently out of print. You know, there is, um, because, you know, now we have this relationship with BMG. They're looking into a lot of things that we've done in the past, and we'll see what happens there. Music industry, the record industry has had its challenges, that's for sure, but the music industry in itself, because of you know, all the online stuff, the Spotify's and the Amazon's and, and everything on all that. Um, there's a way to just release a lot of things and, and, and get a lot of listenerships all over the world. And so, um, we'll be looking into the archives, you know, both my own personal ones, as well as the Beach Boys, um, archives and, and see what we can come up with that might be of interest to people. In closing, I asked Mike if he had any last words for the kids. Well, you know, I, I, I'm a proponent of transcendental meditation, TM, meditation, yoga. And, and, you know, those are things that are good releases of stress that don't involve any negative side effects such as alcohol and drugs, some drugs do. You know, so I, I'm just a proponent of if, you, if you're going to go into the music field, Find somebody who's better than you. If, if, you're, if you're good with an instrument, then find somebody who's great with the lyric or another instrument. And, you know, find a way to the, the chemistry enhances. Uh, the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts when you get with some, some people, person, other person or people that bring their own individual strengths to the situation. But on a lifestyle level, I heartily recommend um, not to get involved in the, you know, the, you know, street kind of things and and all the stuff that's so pervasive these days. It's just the, uh, it's obviously there's all too many poignant examples of, you know, tragic events and and terrible outcomes to for people who engage in that kind of stuff. So I, I really promote um, meditation. Transcendental meditation is the one that I practice and know about, and that's available. The information on that is available through tm.org. 
And, of course, yoga is ubiquitous all over the place, and it's really a wonderful physical thing that you can do at any age. But, in fact, it's something you can do into, when you're elderly. There are certain yoga positions that one can do. keeps you toned. It's, it's very scientific, actually. It may, people may not know it, but Hatha Yoga, there's different positions that positively affect every function, whether it be a gland or organ or, or, or just, you know, any, the whole human system and the way it runs and the way it works. So, it, you know, those kind of things are, uh, I'd say, are, are worth looking into and, and practicing if you're into it. Some of us are more based around long distance, and that's, that's pretty good, too. That's like a huge antidote to depression. You know, rather than being depressed, get out and or go to a club and run, <laughs> and um, you know. Um, so, so I just guess that I, Mike Love, has always tried to accentuate the positive, even in the midst of things that are not positive in any way, shape, shape or form. But there are lifestyle choices that one needs to make that are that can be hugely influential on, on the way your life. Uh, takes place and, and is, it takes shape. Like, for instance, at the same time we were, we learned meditation from Maharishi, my cousin Dennis uh, met Charlie Manson, and and um, he had a following. But you know that whole thing was was horrible how that turned out. And I think Dennis had to have felt the guilt of having introduced him to uh, end of the Beach Boys scenario. So uh, it's a matter of lifestyle choices. And they're very important. And I had to always accentuate the healthy and the positive. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.